0: Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve
1: podcast. Here's your host. And I think we're live on another How We Solve episode. We're talking about how to build a high-performance SaaS team with Nikhil Paul from We Are Human. Previously, Nikhil has led an employee engagement SaaS and learned firsthand challenges that leaders have all over the world that they're facing in terms of motivating and retaining their employees. And these days, retaining employees can be a tricky thing because everybody's remote and everybody can work everywhere. So you want to build a strong culture that people actually really enjoy. Nikhil has a decade of experience in building teams and problem-solving employee engagement issues with clients like Walmart, Salesforce, HubSpot. And Nikhil is also a dance teacher.
0: I do a bunch of Bollywood about dance classes. So uh, yeah, that to keep the body moving. And funny enough, I incorporated it in my workshops as well. So yeah. Very cool. So where are you from originally? So Bollywood, to give you a little bit of a hint, born and raised in India. My family came over when I was 13 to America and pretty much lived in Delaware. And then when I did my startup, as you saw that phase of my life was in New York City. And now I'm settled with my fiance, Providence, Rhode Island. So (laughs) quite the journey.
1: (laughs) Where in India are you from? Southern India, of Kerala. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoy India. I'm vegan, I like spicy food, you know, so it's the place to be for me. (laughs) It is the place to be vegan and spicy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Kunikil, thank you very much for coming on. I'm looking forward to geeking out with you on how
0: to build a high-performance SaaS team. Absolutely. First of all, thank you so much, David, for having me. I appreciate it. And what you've mentioned before, I've lived in the SaaS world. I had to fundraise. I had to get the team motivated. I had to find my product market fit, which to be honest, we didn't really find, right? But it's the lessons, it's the failures. It's the experiences that teaches you, especially in hindsight, what works. And for me, a big part of this whole thing for me was that the software that I did previously was employee engagement. So, I came at looking at it from a vantage point of like, wow, with all these companies, you get to see what's motivating people, and what's not. And at the same time, I'm running, quote unquote, experiments with my own team. So all of that led me to this career today. And it's informing my practice when I come work with team. So the simple answer to the question, how do you build a high performing SaaS team? It's a three part solution, right? And the first part starts with purpose. And I know a lot of people know about it and people talk about it. but if you think about it, purpose is actually what really builds a team. Otherwise, you can break together a group of people and say, okay, this is a product that we're shipping, pushing. But you really need to connect to a purpose. And I'll tell you why. Because in the hyper-competitive SaaS market, it's very hard to get people motivated and super excited about a SaaS tool. More often than not, a great leader is able to imbue just a run-of-the-mill, maybe very technical SaaS tool with a larger purpose. And that's so important. So for example, if you're a CRM email extension tool, don't just tell your team that this is a lightweight tool that's helping people save time. We get it. That's cool. That's nice. What you should try to do is flip it on its head a little bit and say, look, we're here to solve the tyranny of email. We want you to spend less time doing back-end sales work and spend more time with your kids. And that is, oh, wow. What? Powerful. And that's something, in fact, a lot of the best salespeople started actually SaaS companies like Mark Benioff, Salesforce. They came with this mission, with this zeal. I kind of like it. Ad- find your Thanos. If you're an Avengers fan, you got to find that one superordinate goal that's going to rally your team and your troops together. So that to me is one of the first parts of purpose, getting people motivated about a larger than life mission. And it helps people give meaning.
1: I can give you some from my experience with this. I totally agree that you find a way how you position it to make it interesting because it helps tremendously with recruiting and retaining talent. For example, a friend of mine who runs a global brigade—it's a nonprofit that brings. Let's say you're studying, become a doctor, then you go on a brigade and go to a third world country and help people there, and you still get credit at the university. It's a massive, massive, massive organization, and he only has two full-time employees; the rest are all volunteers. You know, and with Upcoach right now, one of our businesses the platform that helps coaches to deliver their coaching business better. And the idea is if we empower coaches to help people achieve their desired outcome, then people get excited about this. Everybody that we recruit. And one last thing with having the clear mission and vision, I think it helps you to make the right decisions in the team. Yeah. I have a cool anecdote. A friend of mine started Ring.com, you know, the doorbell thingy. Oh, yeah, like, sure. Yeah. And I talked to his head of engineering and we nerded out on Mission Vision Values. And he said, do you have these like floodlights that you put on the side of the house? And when somebody walks past, the floodlights has gone. Yep. You can say like, hey, dude, what are you doing on my property? Leave yep. or call the police. And yep. his engineer came to him and said, hey, I have this amazing idea. We're going to create the party mode. Well, since this thing has a microphone and has lights, <laughs> the party mode is on. <laughs> the <laughs> thing <laughs> flashes with the lights. And he thought that's the best idea ever. And he could have told him like, dude, that's a stupid idea. Go back to your desk. And the guy would have been crushed and demotivated and never brought up a new idea. But he said, okay, that's cool. But what does this have to do with our vision, which is to make neighborhoods safe? Then he was like, oh, yeah. So, you know, kind of like having this clear mission, you will just build a more targeted and focused project, even aside from like recruiting the right talent. And it's also a really cool filtering tool to know what you're actually here to do.
0: Absolutely. I love that you said that. It alluded to the second part of what I think about a purpose is that it should not only be inspiring and motivating, helping with the recruitment, it should be kind of like the North Star that's driving all the actions of the team so that it's not just the leader. It's more like the team going, well, how does this been helping make our neighborhoods safer or make our driveway safe? That's exactly it. Focus is the second part that a lot of people sometimes forget when it comes to purpose. They think it's just supposed to be this hoorah, but it's actually a very operational tool that you need to keep, make sure your team is right and heading in the right direction. And that's super critical for SaaS startups because all it takes is one excited idea. <laughs> and then that's a rabbit hole that deviates your product roadmap for three months, right? So yeah, that shiny object syndrome is a very common occurrence in SaaS startups, especially a CEO goes and talks to like one of their top customers and he comes back and says, guys, I have the best idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be disco floodlights. That's what the customer wants. And we're going to. It's, so, so it's, it's a very common occurrence and being disciplined starts from the very get go. Discipline can be passed out in that mission statement. It's an operational mission statement to that effect. And so I completely agree. The focus and inspiration has to be two sides of the coin when it comes to purpose.
1: With Max CDN, my last business, we grew very rapidly and we just hired a bunch of people were asked and we never took time to write down what's our mission, what are we actually doing here. The founding team knew that, but we did a very poor job communicating this and then we end up running into 10 different directions. We hired a new head of engineering and he worked at Splunk before and he built this crazy data analytics engine on top of CDN, which was amazing for 5% of users. Our new head of sales just ran after enterprise customers, even though this was like not focused on, we were like focused on like DevOps. And at some point, like nothing was moving anymore. And we had this realization of, oh, shoot, that's actually because of mission-to-vision
0: values. And since then, I became pretty obsessed with having this. 100%. I mean, just look at some of the best SaaS products out there, right? Look at Slack. When Slack first came out, they hyper-focused on three critical parts. If you think about Slack as just a chat, at the time, there were so many tap parts as part of a larger product, but Slack was very focused on three most important parts of their tool, and that's all they focused on. And I think a lot of times, because founders and CEOs and salespeople are very, sometimes we're driven by fear. We're like, "Oh, if I don't do this, that customer will leave us. If I don't do this, our product won't be attractive enough." And what that creates is like this really clunky, long tail of customer demands and features that just slows the product and then slowly demotivates your team because you're not making that much progress. So that hyper-focus, it's so hard. I've done it. I've been guilty of not doing it. Like a lot of people I talk to are guilty of not doing it. So it's just the natural forces in a startup team.
1: It's mentioned before, the CEO coming with this crazy idea, if you really built a strong culture, I believe that the team has permission to also call you out on like, okay, this is really in line with what we're here to do. A head of product at UpCoach is like really good at giving us a lot of shit in terms of how we really build lean. It's annoying, but I'm very appreciative of him doing that. It's good to have this friction.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's the other thing you want a team that has good conflict. So you don't want just yes people and people just jumping on board. The best ideas come from the isolation can lead to product like the Microsoft Zoom. You've got to have good constructive debate because if they feel like they can challenge the CEO with anything. And there's a level of trust there. Just because I wasn't hurt, ultimately the team went the other way, doesn't matter because this team is all about challenging people and vetting the best ideas and getting only what matters to the mission to rise to the top. So yeah, that's exactly right. Starting with a good bed of trust, then having constructive conflict, it's so critical to having that culture really be strong and positive. The point of a mission is you want to have people emotionally invested in that mission, right? Especially the leadership team. So the CEO or the person in charge will set the mission, but you want people reacting to it and investing in it and be like, I like this, or can we try this or whatever? And then the team forges that mission together. So when you, the team forges that, then it becomes good. So one of the best ways to do that, especially in a very technical SaaS-driven environment, is to come up with a good story. What is the best ideal work story of our team or a company? Airbnb does this really well. They're constantly storifying their entire user process. And so people do that for products and features, but you got to start that from the top. Like the team should have a story about itself. When you have a good story and you can tire it out and say, this is what we focus on. This is who we help. And this is the impact of what we do. Then what that becomes, you can get a clear operational mission state from that story if the team agrees. And the last part, you have to get a clear mission state. And you say, okay, guys, what are we going to say yes to? What are examples of things we say no to? And teach the team to practice through that. We're going to say no to disco floodlights. It doesn't cover, it's fun, but maybe things that are outside of that, maybe we're saying no to it. So teaching the team, you're getting them to practice. Okay, these kind of features, those fit our curvy, but this does. And so that's a huge time saver. When you start learning to say no. What's your business's story and mission? Right now, I switched over from the startup world to the world of training and team coaching. My mission is to help elevate ambitious teams to the next level. My story is I want to build the next SpaceX, like the team that literally takes rockets and puts them to Mars. That would be amazing. If I can be part of a team that solves a big problem or takes a giant leap, that to me is what motivates me the most. Excited to you.
1: Nice. Some LinkedIn users said the mission is a pathway to your vision. The vision is like the goal where you want to get to. We want to become the biggest, the best, or help X billion people to do or we want to end up on Mars or we want to make neighborhoods safer and then the mission is like who do we do this for I guess it's like for residential in terms of going back to ring it's residential it's not for businesses and how do we do this by having these floodlights and
0: doorbells that's exactly right the mission is more operational the vision is more like what's the ideal version of ourselves what does that look like and so you need both like the theory of intentional change theory says that you need to have a very strong vision like going to Mars is a very compelling vision ultimately what SpaceX First is working on is literally, can we do a reverse landing with the rocket? That becomes the operational aspect of it. So the mission is the operational aspect to the vision. Even though it has nothing to do with SaaS teams, I'm such a mission values nerd, so I actually have
1: my personal mission, my personal core values, and so I applied business principles to my personal life. Did you do the same thing or is it aligned with your business vision or do you have a different in your private
0: life? I reverse engineered my career. I literally thought about who are the people I want to help the most? What am I really good at doing more than anyone else in the marketplace? And what do I enjoy the most satisfaction from? And so if you can reverse engineer and do it, that's, that's exactly right. So my personal mission statement is also my company, which directly fits with my values and my philosophy.
1: Similar for me, for my personal mission is to be a change agent who's transforming the lives of individuals and organizations so they can reach their full potential. By starting up coach, I have leverage because I give coach empower coaches to do more and more of that. So first figure out and really crystallize your vision and he gave us some cool tools on how to do that. And then the second part in terms of building this high performance as team was culture and how to get the right make the right culture happen, basically.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if you talk to a lot of SaaS teams, especially early-stage startup SaaS this is not a priority. And you get it because a lot of us are just trying to define product market fit, or we're trying to get investors, or we're just trying to get this certain level of growth. But the truth is, once you start going past a four to five members in your team, that people are now building products and that people reporting to them and it's a bigger, chunkier team, if you don't define the culture explicitly, the culture defines itself, but it defines itself to the lowest denominator. Especially in the remote world, what happens is that people have different ideas of how they think people should collaborate, and they have different interpretations of their coworkers' actions. So, what you're having is a different expectation versus what's reality. That's a perfect place for conflict to happen. What you think inside your head, this is what should be happening, is different than what's actually happening. So, so let's go back to that example of that CEO coming up with a big far-out idea, right? He says an idea to the team, the team knows it's not right, but like you were just saying, they're afraid of putting the team down or they don't want to have an awkward moment in the team. We're all friends. Why do we want awkward moment? Okay, the team's excited. Let's go ahead with it. And then the team is not reciprocating. No one's offering the right resources or commitment. Now the CEO is feeling more frustrated. So he's like, okay, the team's not helping me. I got to go in and micromanage a little bit more. And then that starts that cycle of downward spiral where good intention people because they didn't explicitly set boundaries and culture start going down into their lowest denominator of culture. So that to me is why it's so important. You start by saying, guys, what are our biggest frustrations? What am I doing that you're really frustrated by? And let's just talk about it. If there is a bed of trust and people that really respect and trust each other, then the issue is not about that person. It's about the issue becomes the problem we're trying to solve. That's the part hash it out and say, hey, okay, what are people frustrated about? Tell me. then you as a CEO can just open up and say, what are you most irritated by it that I'm doing? You don't be surprised to hear that people have a lot of stuff to say. So that's the first part.
1: Yeah. So you need a lot of trust. Trust equals good culture. If you can really instill this level of trust in everybody in the team, then you'll have good culture. We start in the recruiting phase sharing our mission mission values already in the video with the recruits. So they can see like, do I really want to work there? Or is this something that's not right? For example, at Maxidian, our first core value was build cool shit because A, we want to recruit people who want to build cool shit and engineers. And we want to repel people who want to come to work with a student tie because they self-select. Then we have on the last page of our contract that people sign with us, we have our core values and have to initial next to each core value to sign them. And then if you don't develop, this can be a reason for termination. The next thing we do, then we do an onboarding where we walk through our mission vision values and tell some core value stories to how somebody has showed these core values inside the organization, can learn from them. Then in terms of trust and and errors, we have an error log, which is called improvement log now to make it sound a little better. And whenever something goes wrong, somebody fucks up, a customer complains or whatever it is, we add this to the error log and then we review this together with the leadership team. and. Nobody gets in trouble for committing errors or doing mistakes, but you get lots of trouble if you don't add it to the error log because we want to be like a self-healing machine that always reviews our SOPs, what can we improve in terms of the standard operating procedures to make sure these errors never come up again. And also having this culture that it's totally cool. Like, hey guys, I fucked up, I did this, I forgot to do this. It's totally cool, but which SOP can we improve that this will not happen again? And we do like a bunch of other stuff. We're all remote with 300 people or so across my portfolio of businesses. Now, pre COVID, we had people meet up on a regular basis where we have more people. You know, for example, in the Philippines, we have a bunch of people. So we have three areas where they can come together and meet. Now we replicate this online where we have a bunch of activities. People do like random stuff, dancing, fitness, karaoke stuff, cringe worthy things for, for, <laughs> then. Another thing we do is we do a town hall where we show like what's new to everybody participates and sees like what every department that gives updates. We always go through core value stores and give people shout outs that have lived up to you know, certain core values. A bunch more stuff. But yeah, I'm curious to learn from you since you've dealt with employee engagement for such a long time. What else we can do?
0: Yeah, I love it. One of the things I love about what you did, especially with that error log, so to speak, that you're basically operationalizing and you're making it similar to development teams looking at their own error logs. Okay, what do we need to fix it? Have that retrospective. I love that because it takes the shame out of the individual and makes it an operating procedure. That's what I love. It shouldn't be like one brave person has to come out and say something. It should just be, all right, what can we work on? What's the next best thing to work on? And then it becomes like this exercise where everyone's just trying to just better themselves 1%, 1% without any shame or isolation. One thing I really love is I call it a culture covenant. So for teams specifically, this is what we're focused on, right? Because at any stage in a company, people are always grunts and groans that the organization is either going through a pivot or they're growing or they have something, some sort of change is always happening. So you need to have a framework that's focused on the current operating system of your team. Because people are now more remote, so many meetings, let's say people are coming late to team meetings. let's say now that becomes a new source of friction within the team. That then comes, hey guys, this is something I'm frustrated about. I feel like no one's respecting our team meeting time, punctuality. Can we make this one of the core things we will work on? If you're going to show up to a meeting, either tell us you're going to be late or you're going to show up one minute before. So you create like a small little culture code that you're now, everyone on the team has agreed to and commits to now working on. When you go to the gym, you work on different parts that need the most help so that you don't get injured. It needs a little more strengthening. And that's the idea here. You come up with these top five things that team is focusing on right now. And then let's say the team gets good about punctuality. They show oh, team needs on type. You can take that off. Put something else. What's the next thing we can work on better and tighten it up and execute a little bit stronger and faster and better. So again, that's for the team.
1: We did something because we have a lot of people in the Philippines and we found that they're amazing. Give them a task. They deliver amazing work, but they're scared to show initiative. And then we just make this one of our core values. Give people shout outs praise if they show initiative and fix that. I'm familiar with EOS, Entrepreneurial Rating System, in the level 10 meetings. And after the meeting, they always have the question, like, around the room, rate the meeting from zero to 10. And if it's below an eight, then you have to tell them, why do you rate it below an eight? And then this could be like, oh, David was late. And having this culture that it's okay to call people out on things and not in a mean way, but in the sense of, okay, we're a team and we want to succeed together.
0: That's exactly right. Again, operationalize it, remove the shame, remove the stigma, and also make it fun, right? Like, David, you show up late again, you buy a round of donuts for everyone in the office. If you gamify culture, you can create places just like the same way you applaud people for the town hall. There are ways to build habits. You can build individual habits by gamifying it and operationalizing the entire thing It's an easier way.
1: the previous business, we had one problem with one of our partners who tend to be always late especially for our partner meetings. And then once we just locked the door and didn't let them in. The third step you said is execution. How do you get people to really execute so you can focus on the fundamentals and and grow?
0: Yeah, this is another part. You'd be surprised. The tech world, the OKRs, and people talking about performance benchmark, do you think execution wouldn't be a big deal? I think individually people are better at execution, but as a team, I think a lot of times people forget. You're in one meeting out of 10 meetings in a day, and... There are a lot of decisions and choices being made, and sometimes it's hard to follow up on things and see where the team is. So what i would say is you now know your mission. The next thing is you should say, what is that intention in the short term? Basically, it's called a performance talent. So let's say your goal this quarter for our CRM tool is to get it out into the hands of the top five companies out there. That's a very intentional goal. And from that goal, you will say, okay, We need to measure the effort we're putting into it and also what does success look like. And you have to be clear about both parts. What is the minimum amount of effort we need to put into this that will guarantee this level of success? And so that could be a hypothesis you're making or that could be a value generation uh, project that you're embarking on. So you could say we have to reach up to 20 of our top customers and set up these pitch meetings and that will guarantee us at least three top SaaS clients that will sign up for our free members, which so it's very specific. It's very intentional. And so by doing this, one, we've created a performance challenge that requires everyone on the team to hustle. It can't just be the head of sales and the head of customer success. And it has to be development is moving towards this, design is moving towards this, and moving the ball. And secondly, it should be ambitious enough. It should push the team a little bit if it's hard enough, but not impossible enough, and you get it into what I call Goldilocks state, then people get energized. They're so like, all right, how do we get these three customers? How do we do this? And that's the part that a lot of people sometimes forget. There is a moment in every team when it changes from a group of people to becoming a team. You feel that energy, the excitement that the ideas pop it. So. That's what, as a leader, you have to figure out, okay, how do I create a performance challenge out of our quarterly goals or whatever? What can I say that's going to get people to be like, all right, I get it. I know what I have to do. Here's what we're determining outcome and success to be. So that's definitely the first part of the execution. Create a clear compelling performance challenge
1: as well. Any preferences for KPIs or just nine-day plans or what's your goal to defining these goals?
0: So the way I think about it is that there are different frameworks out there for different places. Like you were saying with the one, you just talked about the US. The main thing is what's one metric? And I always like one metric, the one king KPI that defines progress more than anything else. Even a big company like Walgreens, they have the one metric with like number of customers per this or something like that, as opposed to number of customers per store. And it sounds like a very minutiae metric, but what it changed for Walgreens is that instead of constantly trying to sell a ton of products. They just create a lot more locations based on that metric. The more accessibility that came, the more they would get profits. And if you know your business or the goal you're stating, that KPI should truly measure the most amount of meaningful progress for your goal or your business or whatever. And it's different, obviously, for each one. But I always force all my clients to say, if I put a hypothetical gun to your head and say, there's a one KPI that measures your success, what would that be?
1: It's not an easy thing to figure out what is the North Star metric because if you've been thinking about, is it the number of meetings that are being held inside by coaches? Is it the amount of time from once a coach signs up and he has the first meeting with his customer? It's it's not an easy one. We're still struggling with finding the right one.
0: And that's also, again, just because you have one metric. It doesn't mean the other metrics, the secondary metrics don't matter. They definitely matter. It's I'm trying to come at it from a perspective of a busy executive, a busy team and you're trying to get them to move the ball, everything that they do, every project, and PayPal has got this as well. PayPal, anytime you come up with an idea, you should say, how is this idea going to push this metric, the number of users signing up, right? It's easier for them at that point signing up. So all the debates, all the discussions, all the progress is like, hey, David, you've been running this project for a while. I haven't moved the number up or achieved this milestone. So it's an easier way to frame that debate. It's not the only... KPI, but it's an easy way to remind people about the progress. Strategy. Yeah, makes total sense.
1: You mentioned before, create performance challenges. What do you mean by having this defined KPI that you want to reach X by the next quarter or this
0: week? Yeah, the KPI is just a measurement if you're making progress on that performance challenge. If I were to use the example of SpaceX, right, the performance challenge for SpaceX was to do the reverse let, If they could get that rocket come back and land. That was the measurement of success. If they did that, everything else was built on that. So you could have KPIs within that performance challenge, but also the performance challenge itself might be a milestone that you need to prove to yourself. Do it. So again, the KPI is if you're trying to hit a certain number to prove something with outcome, that helps. But if it's a milestone in and of itself, the milestone is good enough proving success as well. Interesting. And you mentioned accountability.
1: Do you define like, who is the team lead who is really responsible for this number or is it like the entire team being responsible for it? How does it work with the North Star metric, or uh, what are your thoughts on
0: that? Yeah, it's a good point. The research is that it says that, look, in high performance games, individuals manage each other. It doesn't matter whether you're the CEO or not. The CEO can talk to the head of sales and say, hey, why didn't you hit your numbers? What's going on? If you've got all the other parts right and you've got a good culture and you've got a strong mission, then you should be able to have that conversation without that person feeling like they're being attacked. So when you talk about ownership and accountability, the team decides who is going to decide itself, who's gonna take ownership. And of course for a certain project you need someone who's going to be the direct part of the DACI framework, right? But anyone can call out anyone and say, Hey, listen, David, what happened? You need to hit those numbers, what's going on? But if you've done all the other steps before the strike, no one's gonna take the offense at it. So this first the responsibility. Everybody's
1: responsible, able to respond, right? You can open up your mouth and say something to it. I watched this some video on YouTube that talked about is the German word. I guess it's emergency, but spelled differently. And the idea is that when you have an ant colony and I think four types of ants like workers, warriors, etc. And when they, when they pass each other, they smell each other. And if the ratio is off, say like a lot of warriors have been killed, then the workers turn into warriors automatically. I love that.
0: Just step in and do what's needed. It should never be like, hey, that's not my problem. That's your problem. The moment you hear that, And what's going on that people are saying things like that. It's always a team's problem. It's never an individual's problem. It's always a team's problem. So in case somebody
1: doesn't perform, I want to ask you a how-to question how do you have a difficult conversation as a nice person like how do you call somebody out if this culture is not really defined yet like there's
0: this deep trust and you can call people out on things like how do you yeah so i have a three-part process for this first before you have a difficult conversation prep you gotta prep especially when it's a difficult conversation there's a lot of emotions there the first thing to do is they first figure out okay what is the outcome i want from this conversation do i want this person Doing this action or do I just want to feel better about myself that I've shouted at this person, right? You want to put aside the ego. And like, what is the outcome here? And then second, you also want to check in with yourself. Are you in a good space to have a conversation? If you are having a difficult conversation in you know, a long, stressful day, that's a no-go. So that's the first part. Prep yourself and make sure you know what my goal from this conversation and make sure it's a good state. Then once you're having that conversation, dive deep, dive fast and dive deep. Just let them talk and empathize. Like really, you're trying to get to the root of the issue and sympathize and empathize and make them completely feel seen and heard and understand the root of that problem. Then the third part is problem solved together. Once you've made that person feel seen and heard, then look at that issue as a separate entity. Help them do it so they don't feel like they're being attacked. And once you do that, end that conversation with the commitment and say, okay, from now on, Whenever you have two or three more issues than you could handle, you let me know and I'll take one off the plate. Get them to commit to something and that's very important. That's that last part that builds that thought of trust and respect.
1: Nice. Love it. Similar to, I always want to have a direct report and I start working with this person as a leader. I think this is what you should do and if i do this maybe three or four of these conversations and then they get it like hey this dude actually has my best intentions at heart and if he gives me feedback it's just so i can grow from it and once this has clicked it becomes like a real pleasure but this has been working really well and some tip from my mom she always said be hard in the case but soft with the person They had this guy i had this conversation with him for an hour that if he doesn't change his behavior i have to let him go and then at the end, he was like, still in such a good mood. I'm like, dude, if you don't change this, I'll freaking fire you. <laughs> and you look at him like, what? <laughs> you know, yeah. so being direct and not true, sure
0: calling things can also be very helpful. Yeah. Just because you're being nice and you're empathizing problem solving, there's also consequences. And so you have to be honest about that. If you don't say that as a leader, then you'll feel like, oh, I feel like that person didn't understand. I'm not feeling hurt. So you also have to feel heard and say, listen, if you don't do this, it's hard for us to work together. It's part of it. You're being kind to them by also being clear. That's the most important thing you can do as a leader. Do you have any
1: other books, tools, resources, or things you want to recommend?
0: Yeah, you know, the book Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lynch. It's an easy read. It's kind of like a story driven. It's a good way to understand some of the culture aspects of it. And of course, I'm a big fan of Jim Collins. So I like to look the Great. and it's a lot of fundamental stuff. I've actually used that in my personal development. As well. So those are two books right up the top of the head that are not too literature dense. It's a little bit more of an easier read than some of the other books I read. And in terms of OrgDev, what's your favorite book? Because I'm an organization developer nerd as
1: well. What's your favorite one?
0: Raymond Hackman had some back there for a thing called High Performance Organization. I love it. It really talks about this idea of high performance teams and what's required. So that it's not for the average reader, but yeah. Very coolly kill.
1: It was a real pleasure having you on. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed nerding out with you on my favorite topic. How can people reach
0: you? You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm constantly every day posting thoughts and articles and ideas about team performance. And I also have a newsletter as well. That's on wearehuman.co. W-E-R-H-U-M-E-N dot C-O. <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much for coming on. Really enjoy our conversation. Thanks, everyone.
1: Is your e-commerce growing so fast that you can't keep up with supporting your customers in real time? Serve them better in any time zone and language. They will thank you with higher conversion rates and repeat purchases. We build and manage your own dedicated customer experience team of live chat and support agents. Get started today.
0: Visit ltvplus.com. That's ltvplus.com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.